We have an inherent dislike of favoritism. We don't like it when someone gets special treatment because of how much money they have or what family they come from or the connections they have. For example, if you're in line for a promotion at work and you've put in the time and you've earned it and you deserve it and you know it ought to be you, and then somebody else gets promoted over you who hasn't put in the time or the work because of who their parents are or because of some position they have or whatever, uh, that rubs you the wrong way, right? We don't like that. We want things to be fair and we want people to be given opportunities based on their merits and not merely on their connections. Most of the time. Sometimes... Favoritism favors us. And then it's a little bit harder to be upset about it, right? It's harder to find fault with it. It's amazing how quickly something that seemed unjust a minute ago doesn't seem so bad when it's going to work to my favor. And that's just another uh, example of the the brokenness in in all of us, right? We, We think we are very principled, Right? Until our principles are, are challenged. And then sometimes we're not as principled as we thought we were. It appears that um, at least some of the Jews uh, in the time of the New Testament believed that God would show favoritism toward them. That God was partial toward them. And that as a result they would not have to be judged by God, that they would get a pass, that they would be exempt. And if that was true, then Paul's gospel would have no meaning for the Jews. They would not need it. If God was going to give them a pass on the judgment simply because they were Jews then they wouldn't have to worry about salvation. They wouldn't have to worry about being saved. They wouldn't have to worry about faith in Christ. But God is not a God of partiality or favoritism. And even though the Jews do have a special place in God's plan, He does not show partiality toward them. And that's what our text is about this morning. Open with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2, verses 6-11. through 11. This is important because... Though Paul has in mind the Jews primarily, it's not true just of the Jews. There are plenty of people who think that God will favor them, that God will show partiality toward them because of something about them. They may not be Jews, but maybe they think, well, because I'm an American. Or because I come from a long line of, you know, Deacons or Sunday school teachers or faithful church members or whatever because of who my grandparents were or because of who my parents were or because of how much money I give or whatever. I'm, I've got special status. God favors people like me. God gives a pass to people like me. Whatever reason it might be why you would think that God would show partiality or favoritism toward you, Paul's goal in Romans 2, 6-11 through 11 is to say, no, he won't. No, he won't. And it's important for you to know that now, 
so that you can take advantage of the means of escaping the judgment of God now rather than finding out when it's too late that what you were banking on had no bearing on the judgment of God. So here's what, here's what Paul says, Romans 2, 6-11. through 11. He, God, will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Now, the first statement that Paul makes there in that paragraph is that God's judgment on the last day, God's judgment will be according to works. And back before Palm Sunday, so it's been a couple weeks or so ago, we focused on verses 6 and 11, or excuse me, 6 and 7. But let me just review those real quickly, right? Paul says, God's judgment for all people, for each person, is going to be according to our works, based on what, uh, according to what we have done. And he says that's true even of Christians. Even Christians, believers and unbelievers, will be judged according to our works. Now, this, he's not saying that we're saved by our works. He's not saying that we earn salvation, but he is saying that we are judged according to our works, and here's how that works. Right? If that sounds strange to your ears, right, just go back and read Matthew's uh, parable, Jesus' parable, in Matthew 25 about the sheep and the goats. Right? In that parable of the sheep and the goats, some are put on his right, and some are put on his left, some uh, are welcomed into eternal joy, and some depart into eternal punishment. And if you ever heard the Matthew or the Keith Green song on Matthew 25, he emphasizes at the end that the only difference between those two groups was what they did or didn't do. Some fed and clothed and visited Jesus when they visited and clothed and cared for the least of these, and some didn't. Now, they didn't earn salvation by that, right? But that was, that was how the judgment worked. It was according to works. Right? Now, how is that not the same as works-based salvation? It's not the same as works-based salvation because your works don't earn you salvation. They show that you've been saved, right? This is clear all over Scripture. James chapter 2 Faith without works is dead. You can say all day long that you believe in Jesus and that you're a Christian and that you love God. And all, love God and all, you can say that all day long. But if your life does not demonstrate that, it's not true. That's James's point. If you believe that faith will come out in works. This is what Paul says in Galatians, right? Galatians is all about the fact that whether you're Jew or Gentile, doesn't matter. You are saved. You are justified by faith apart from works of the law. But then Paul says this in Galatians 5, 6. Faith works through love. If you have faith, 
it will show itself in the way you love God and others. It's going to, right? Jesus said, a tree is known by its fruit. If the tree has bad fruit on it, it's a bad tree. If it's got good fruit on it, it's a good tree. If you are a Christian and the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, your life is going to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, if you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, your life is not going to be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. It's going to be characterized by the works of the flesh. That all over Scripture, it is abundantly clear that how we live shows who we are. If we have been saved, we have also been changed. We've not been made perfect. We don't do everything right. Right? We still can't. We still are not earning anything from God. Right? But the, the judgment is going to be in accord with our works, not based on, but in accord with our works, because our works are what prove what's true about us. If we belong to Jesus, the world will see it. Right? They'll know us by our love. If we don't belong to Jesus, that will be evident too by the way that we live. So. The main takeaway, right, from those first two verses is that it matters how you live. Being a Christian does not mean you can now live however you want because God's forgiven you of all of your sin and so you can just do whatever you want to do. That's not how the gospel works. If you are a Christian, you will want to live differently because you are now a different person. You're a new creation. So the judgment will be according to works, but that that does not contradict the clear teaching of Scripture that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone apart from our works. So that's the first part. Now, that's not the main thing that Paul wants to say in this paragraph. He's not mainly concerned with telling us that even believers are going to be judged in accord with their works. Instead, his focus in this paragraph and really in this whole chapter is on the Jews, right? Or anybody else who thinks that they have a privileged position before God because of who they are or something they've done or something like that. So one, one scholar summed this up really well, and I was leaning on him even in my introduction. He's describing what Paul is doing in this paragraph, and he says, the main reason... Paul introduced the issue of repayment according to works. So the main reason why he's talking about this at all is to show the Jews that God is impartial, that there will be no special favoritism for them. And the reason why Paul wants to say that, again, is this. He has said from the beginning that he... He is not ashamed of the gospel. He is preaching the gospel. The gospel is for all people who believe. It's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, the Jew first and also to the Greek. And the problem with humanity is that we are all sinners and God's wrath is being revealed from heaven against all of our sin. And in chapter 1, he gave us a litany of sins that characterized the pagan nations. And he was anticipating the Jews saying, yes, the Gentiles are sinful, they are rebellious, they are idolaters, they are immoral, all the rest. They absolutely deserve the judgment of God. And then in chapter 2, Paul turns around and says, you Jews are not any better. You're also sinners. In fact, some of you are hypocrites because you're condemning the Gentiles for stuff that you yourself are doing. Well, 
what is Paul going to say if those Jews say, well, hold on, Paul. I know the Gentiles are subject to the wrath and judgment of God, but we're children of Abraham. We're, we're offspring of the promise. We are the chosen people of God. Do you think we are going to be held accountable at the judgment? Do you think we are in danger of destruction and hell? Don't we have a special place? And Paul says, no. You do have a special place in God's plan, but it does not include being exempt from God's judgment. So here's what he says in verse 8. He says, For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. So he's just said that those who seek glory and honor and immortality, in the, not in the pagan way, but the godly way, seeking to receive glory from God, to see the glory of God, seeking to receive honor from God, to, be, to experience immortality in God's presence, those who want to be with God and be uh, in, God, in fellowship with God, to them... They will be given eternal life, but for those who, whose lives are not oriented towards God, but towards themselves, who are not seeking to do the things that please God so that they will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but, so that, but people who are doing what they want to do, right, who obey unrighteousness, who uh, do not believe the truth, do not obey the truth, but who do... What is wrong, obeying it, as, obeying unrighteousness as though it was their master, because it is, as Paul will say later, to those who live that way, Paul says, there will be wrath and fury. There will be judgment. There will be tribulation. There will be suffering to all those who live a self-seeking, disobedient, unrighteous life. And then in verse 9, he makes clear that that applies also to the Jews. Right? Verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek. So being a Jew does not get you off the hook, does not grant you a pass for how you live. If you are a Jew, Paul is saying, and you are a sinner, you are living an evil life, you are living a selfish life, you are living a disobedient life, you have the law, but you break the law, you don't keep the law, you're guilty of disobeying the Ten Commandments, just like the Gentiles are. If that's you, guess what? God's judgment is according to works, and your works deserve judgment. And so if you stand before God on the judgment day as you are, on your own, you are in trouble. There will be tribulation for you. There will be distress for you. This is for every human being who does evil. Jew or Greek, Jew or Gentile. Doesn't matter what country you're from, doesn't matter who your parents are, doesn't matter what privileges you think you have or have deserved or earned or been granted to you or whatever. There is no one who is exempt from this. This is the way it works for everybody. Right? If the Jews, if the Jews do not get a pass on the day of judgment, nobody does. 
Uh, if, if there was anybody you would think God would say, well, they have a special deal, right? They have a special place. They have a special, uh, I'm going to treat them differently, right? It would be them, you would think. But Paul says that's not the case. That's not the, again, the Jews do have a special place in God's plan. Paul's going to spend three chapters talking about that in Romans 9 and 10 and 11. They do have a special place in God's plan. But even that does not mean that it does not matter how they live. Even that does not mean that they will be exempt from the truth that Paul says in verse 6, that God will render to each one according to his works. An evil Jew will face the consequences of his evil on the day of judgment, just like an evil Gentile will. It doesn't matter. There's no exemption. And again, the reason why Paul tells them this and tells us this is so that whatever grounds we think we have other than the gospel of Christ, any other grounds we think we have for being safe from the judgment of God, for being exempt from the judgment of God, Paul's aim is to pull that out from under our feet and say, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to work. That's not the way it's going to go. God doesn't deal with people that way. You might think that's how he's going to deal with you. You might hope that's how he's going to deal with you. Somebody might have told you that's how he's going to deal with you. But I'm telling you, that's not how it works. But he tells us that, not so that we will walk away from this with our heads hanging down, discouraged, depressed, and thinking, man, I thought I had a chance, but apparently there's no chance. His goal in telling us that is so that we will abandon any false hope that we have and fly to the only true hope there is, which is the gospel of Christ. This is how Paul started the letter, and this is what the whole letter is about. The gospel that Paul is unashamed of, that he is preaching in this letter, that he is preaching to us, that he preached all over the world, is that there is a way for you to escape the judgment of God. And it is only and solely in Christ. Jew or Gentile, if you fly to Christ, if you turn from sin to Christ, if you put your trust not in your works, not in your family, not in your nationality, not in your bank account, but you put your trust totally in Jesus, then in Jesus all your sins are forgiven, you are granted the righteousness of Christ, you are made new, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, and you are enabled and empowered to live a new and different kind of life. And if you think that doesn't sound possible, you just don't know how powerful God is. All over this room, right, are testimonies to the power of God. People who have been changed and transformed and made new, who could tell you, if Jesus had not saved me, I would not be the person that I am today. There's no way. Right, this is how, this is why Paul wants us to know this. So that we will believe the gospel, so that we will trust in Christ. And then he says in verse 10 that just like it's true that those who do evil, whether they are Jew or Greek, are going to experience tribulation and distress, in verse 10 he says there's also going to be peace and honor and glory 
for those who do good, whether Jew or Greek. Right? Verse 10, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now here we encounter the same problem we talked about earlier when we talked about verses 6 and 7 a few weeks ago. Is there anybody who does good? Well, if you've studied Romans chapter 3, your reflex is no. There's no one who's righteous. There's none who does good. There's none who seeks God. Outside of Christ. That's the key. No one who does good who has not already been changed by Jesus. No one who seeks God who has not already been saved by the grace of God. No one who is righteous outside of faith in Christ. But once you become a Christian, once Jesus comes and takes up residence in your life by the Holy Spirit, once you become a new creation in Christ, then yes, you can do good. You can do what is righteous. You will seek God. So when Paul says here, glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, it's not hypothetical. It's not if there was anybody who did good, then this is what God would do for them. But of course there's not, so it's kind of a moot point. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, but for those who do good, and the only people who do good are those who belong to Christ, who've been saved by grace, who've been given a new life in Christ. For those people... At the judgment, there will not be tribulation and distress. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Instead, for them, there will be glory. will be glorified in the presence of God. There will be honor. Well done, good and faithful servant. And there will be peace, which one scholar says is here probably just another word for salvation. Right? Or it may, be, um, it may be drawing on the... Uh, the rich meaning of the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, which you know, you've probably heard somebody say, shalom is more than just no one's mad at you. you know, shalom is the fullness of blessing from God. That, that may be what Paul has in mind here about this word peace. At the, at the judgment, when God sorts everything out, for those who do good, for those who belong to Christ, whose lives have been changed, and who seek glory and honor and immortality, they will receive glory and honor and peace. All the rich fullness of God's promised salvation. Now, all of this is really summed up in this little statement in verse 11. For God shows no partiality. That's the key. God shows no partiality. All of us are prone to think that God is partial toward our group, whatever our group is, right? Whether it's our country, whether it's our denomination, whether it's our family, whatever it is, all of us are prone to think, inclined to think that God is partial toward us. We like to think we're on the right side of things, right? We like to think that God is partial toward us. But Paul says God shows no partiality. This is true in judgment, which has been Paul's point all through this paragraph, is what he's hammering home. At the day of judgment, there will be no partiality. God will be judging according to a fair standard all people. His judgment will be according to works, and it won't matter whether you're a Jew or a Greek other than the Jews go first. No partiality in judgment. 
But Paul is also very clear that there is no partiality with God in salvation. This theme runs all through the book of Romans, from the very beginning, right? Again, that wonderful statement in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. God shows no partiality in judgment. He shows no, par- no partiality in salvation. Everyone who believes, it doesn't matter where they're from or who they are, receives forgiveness and experiences the power of God. Later in chapter 3, Paul says, this is Romans 3, 22 to 24, he says, there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Most of us have memorized that verse at some point, right? But we may not have paid paid attention to the fact that that verse keeps going. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So there's no distinction. Why? Because we're all sinners, and all who are saved are saved the same way. By grace, apart from works, through what Christ has done in purchasing our redemption on the cross. Then later in chapter 3, verses 29 and 30, Paul asks a loaded question. He says, Is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. So, Paul's saying, my Jewish brothers who think that God is only for us, does that make any sense? How many gods are there? There's one God. Doesn't it make better sense that the one God, who's a God who saves would save not only Jews, but all people the same way because he's the one God, the God of all people. He, ju- just, he justifies the Gentiles, the uncircumcised through faith, and he justifies the Jews, the circumcised through faith. There's only one God. And this is the conclusion that Peter came to after his Vision and the Spirit speaking to him and telling him to go with the, the men from Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. Peter comes to what to us doesn't seem like a very dramatic conclusion, but was very dramatic for Peter. He says in Acts 10.34, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. Before that day, Peter didn't really get that. But on that day... God hammered into his head that he shows no partiality. And then he made that abundantly evident at the end of that story where uh, while Peter is preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit falls on the Gentiles who are hearing the word and they're saved. And Luke tells us in Acts 10.45, the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. They did not see that coming. Even after everything that had happened up to that point, they were amazed that God would be impartial and give the Holy Spirit to Gentiles who believe the truth about Jesus. But that's what the Scripture makes clear. God is not unjust. 
He does not show partiality. He does not show favoritism, whether towards us and our group or against us and our group. The bad news is nobody gets a pass. The good news is all who turn to Jesus are accepted and received. So it's a good thing. It's right that we dislike favoritism. That we are rubbed the wrong way by partiality. Because God Himself, who is the ultimate standard of righteousness, He does not show favoritism. But that means we cannot and must not presume upon any status that we think we have to get out of judgment. Instead, we must depend upon and plead for the grace that is promised to anyone and everyone who turns to the Lord Jesus in faith. Our great high priest who alone paid the price to forgive our sin and in whom alone we can be made new. There is no partiality. There is no favoritism. But there is a way of escape. And if you turn to Christ and trust in Christ, if you are in Christ, you have no need to fear the judgment of God because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's pray.